Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Momming Autism Podcast, where we are providing a positive platform for parents and caregivers to provide their stories about raising and working with special needs children. We are your hosts, Amanda DeLuca and KDMD, and today we have the pleasure of bringing you a dear friend of mine, Lacey Bennett from Dream Big Swim Academy. So welcome, Lacey, and thank you for joining us. Hi. So Lacey, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um, So my name is Lacey Bennett, and I am the owner, operator, founder of Dream Big Swim Academy. Uh, We are a small swim school, and we focus on uh, developmental teaching for individual students. And we do a, I would call it a moderate style of survival swim. We work with typical and special needs students. We take students of all ages, disabilities, skill levels. Personally, I focus mostly on the special needs students with severe disabilities. We have special needs students that um, other teachers teach and things like that, but we take all students with any disability in any kind of condition. So I focus on more of the severe level. I've been teaching swimming for about 22 years now. I think I started when I was about 15 or 16, somewhere in that area. Um, and I love it. Um, I just I started the swim school because I kept getting more and more people and I just really fell in love with it. And I love the special needs community. That is just my niche, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it's special needs or typical, what age do you start taking children for swim lessons? Because I feel like some parents almost wait till it's too late. Yes, you're right. Um, we actually start lessons. We have um the baby's classes. We start ours at three months. You can actually start children at like two weeks old, even in the bathtub. I feel like three months is our safe area for, you know, being in a pool and the chlorine and weather, all of those kind of things. As for what you just said, you really should have your child in swimming lessons before they can walk or about when they're walking. As soon as they're mobile, they're a drowning risk. They can get to a pool, they can get into a bucket, they can fall into a toilet, you can drown anywhere. So by the time your kid is, I mean, the age of two or three, they should already be able to swim independently. Mm -hmm. So um, drowning is the leading cause of death in individuals with autism, especially those who wander, which a lot of our children do. Can you talk more about the importance of proper swim lessons? Yes. Um, so not only is it the number one cause of death for individuals with autism, it's the leading cause of accidental death for those, um, for children ages one through four in the U S it's the number three cause of accidental death in children one through 14. And it's the number three cause of accidental death in the entire world. So drowning is a huge issue through all of them, but it's the very main cause, um, of death accidental death, I should say, with those in autism. But before I talk about the lessons, I kind of want to talk about the why, so mm-hmm. people understand why this is so important. Kids that wander, the very first place anytime your kid takes off uh, and, and goes missing, especially those with the autism, is any body of water that they're familiar with or they have access to. Mm-hmm. Why do they run for this water? People don't realize water is the ultimate sensory stimulation. It hits every single sense that we have and it hits it all at once. There is no bigger sensory stimulation on this planet than water. Water bends light, it alters sound. It can make sound go away. It has its own taste. The surface tension on your skin has its own feeling. There's nothing like it. And then of course you see the kids that bob up and down and it's that vestibular motion and that Mm -hmm. deep pressure. You, You can't get a bigger uh, stimulation. It's, it's just a happy place. So this is, you need to understand that your child is going to be drawn to the water because it's the happiest place that they can be and they will do anything to get there. 
Mm-hmm. I was reading that um, the buoyancy counteracts the natural gravity um, that we feel like in our muscles, in our joints. And I think that's why Jackson loved um, the deep dive pool with you so mm-hmm. much because it kind of was that ultimate release for him. Yeah. And the deeper you go, the the deeper the pressure is, the more it's like being hugged. Mm-hmm. So any of your kids that like the hug or the deep, you know, with like a, a, a tight squeeze type of thing, it's going to be the same principle being in the water. And the deeper they go in the water, the, the tighter that squeeze is going to be for them. So they're going to seek that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but these kids, so the swimming lessons are extremely important for this population because of their increased attraction to the water. Um, in my experience, I found that in most of the kids with autism, depending on their severity whatever they actually lack like self-preservation skills and instincts they don't realize the danger you know and i mean they know that for we all know that for so many different reasons but they they lack that what i'm going to call like self-preservation they don't have that instinct to like save their life they don't have the instinct to come up and get a breath of air like Mm -hmm. a neurotypical child would they don't realize that they're tired Mm-hmm. So that, you know, they, and they don't call out for help. You know, we've got so many of these nonverbal kids. Another big issue is, is even if you would see a kid drowning, they won't touch a foreign object. They won't touch something that is unfamiliar to them or they just won't touch. So if you throw them an object to try and help save them, because you're not going to grab a kid that's splashing and, you know, get pulled under, they're not going to grab an object. Mm-hmm. So that's another risk with that. Um, so literally with these kids, these swimming lessons are life or death. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, they're vital for them to learn how to save themselves. And Jackson, um, like you said, doesn't recognize that he's tired. So we have to say, we have to take a break. We have to wait before we can jump in again, before we can get back in the pool because he's go, 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 go until he'll just collapse. Yep, they don't have, they just don't have a stop. And, mm-hmm. and it's that constant sensory stem seeking that just keeps them going. Mm-hmm. I will say as um, as a parent, the number one thing that you can do for your kid, and you and you should do this with your typical kids too, is you have to teach them to to wait for permission to get into the pool. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult. And I mean, you're gonna fight them and there's gonna be battles about it. But if you teach them to wait or to be invited into the water, sometimes that gives you that 30, 40 second pause, you know, depending on your kid, just enough time to be able to get there before they get in. And I mean, it, it's taken, we have a couple of kids, and I mean, it, it took a year we have a severely autistic boy. It took a year for us to get him to sit on the side of the pool and wait for, I mean, 30 or 40 seconds. But we'll say, hey, we're waiting and he'll sit. And that's just enough time for somebody to be able to get to a kid if you're in, you know, in running distance of it or whatever. So as a parent or caregiver or whatever, you should really work on any body water that your, your child is near or familiar with or has access to, take them to it and teach them waiting. And. I think a lot of parents, um, like when you were doing lessons with Jackson and you're going, nope, we're waiting, nope, we're waiting. And it didn't register as to why, but it is a survival skill. You're 1000% like light bulb moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, and you should do, I mean, with all children, you want to, we teach and we try to instill in all of them that you need, you don't get in the water without an adult and you need to be invited into the water. Mm -hmm. You don't go in the pool by yourself. You wait for someone to tell you it's okay. And it's the same principle. Um, even with the special needs population. So this wasn't on your script, so I'm sorry, but um, (laughs) during quarantine and during COVID, you were doing um, videos. um, Yes. One of them was about being an active watcher. Mm -hmm. We call it a water watcher. Can you talk about that for a second too? Because I think that's another life-saving tip. 
It's unbelievable, especially in this day and age with the cell phones and the distractions and things like that. Um, the the rates of drowning are actually going up, and I'm going to be really interested to see what they are for 2021 with all of these pools in the backyards. But what a water watcher is, is it's a designated adult, and that is their only job is to be watching the pool. They can't have a cell phone. They can't have a book. They can't be talking to somebody else. They are to watch the pool. No drinking, no, you know, anything else. And you should probably, I mean, if you're going to have a long party, have maybe two or three people and you take in 30 minute shifts or something like that. But you are an active watcher. You do not take your eyes off of the pool. You should be counting the people in the pool every couple of minutes to make sure you've got everybody in there. And you just want to make sure that you are constantly watching that pool because accidents happen within a few seconds. And actually, I think. The statistic is somewhere around maybe 75-80% of drownings happen within arm's reach of an adult because mm -hmm. drowning is silent and yeah. people, a kid could be drowning next to you and nobody would know. Mm -hmm. I think um, Katie is furiously taking notes because that's what she does <laughs> when we do these things. <laughs> I, I am and taking we, notes actually. It's okay. <laughs> and if you saw in our videos, um, we actually, you know, and the kids do it on uh, the deck and things when we do safety days, but we actually make a little tag that says water watcher and it's like a little pair of glasses and you wear your tag or your keychain. You can make it any kind of totem for them to hold and that's designated them as the water watcher. Mm -hmm. And they and they need to take it seriously. Yep. So can you differentiate between swim lessons and survival swim lessons? Because not all are created equal. And I know that some people call it survival swim and it's not. Yes, this is a loaded topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, first, I would say you kind of need to differentiate between swim schools and swim lessons. Mm -hmm. So you know, you can go to your local YMCA and you'll have, you know, what we call like the group lessons and things like that. And then you have actual swim schools. So a swim school should have some kind of structure curriculum that focuses on safety, but some elements of play, you know, um, the instructors are going to have some kind of training, you know, the swimming lessons are things you're going to see at your community center, the high schools with your lifeguards in there, maybe an adult teaching them those kind of things. The swimming lessons like that are not going to be a survival style. Um, anything that uses any kind of flotation is not going to be a survival style. Um, some swim schools teach survival style and there's kind of a different classification on that as well. I actually consider our school what we call a um, survival style. We do the infant rescue. Uh, our babies classes are survival style. We put them under, we make them roll and float. However, we introduce that at a slower pace so that they're not being forced into their skills immediately, but we still teach the survival skills. In my opinion, when we hear um, survival style swimming, we think of the program that's most commonly known as ISR, Infant um, Resource Swimming, and it's got a really bad connotation to it for reasons. So there's a forceful survival swim where it's, okay, we're gonna put this kid under, we're gonna put this kid under, we're gonna put this kid under, flip him, flip him, flip him, flip him. And those are the videos you see these kids screaming and crying. Does it work? Yes. When you your kid falls in, can they roll over and swim? Yes, but it doesn't need to be done that forcefully. You can teach survival skills without the trauma, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Did it kind of answer your question? Yes. So yeah. for, for Jackson, another <laughs> thing that you did for safety um, is there's one way to get in and out of the pool and that is it. Yes. Um, you want to teach a controlled entry um, and we do that for all of our students as well simply because um, we have them, we call it like you crisscross. So you're sitting on the pool and you crisscross your arms and you always want to slide in on your belly, controlled. Because people get excited and you flop off of the wall and you're gonna crack your head, you're gonna mm -hmm. hit your tailbone, anything like that. So you always wanna make sure that you're doing a safe entry to avoid any kind of injury. 
We, it, you want everything to be as safe as possible in the water. Well, and that's our kids lack spatial awareness. They lack very um, much so. They lack the concern for safety. Some of them lack core strength. So knowing that this is how we get in, this is how we get out, this is the safe way, you know, is important. You know, of course, and our it kids creates are, a nice routine as well. Right. For them. Exactly. Yep. And of course, our kids are resistant because this wasn't their idea and it's not their schedule. But Jackson learned. I mean, Jackson was what? 16 months old 18 months old something like that he was little 16 i think we took him at 16 months yeah yeah back when he was tiny <laughs> i was gonna say and that was before a diagnosis but we still knew we needed special needs swim <laughs> mm-hmm. we were we were not group swim people because jackson needed one-on-one and mm-hmm. all the and all the prompting yes i remember that forever mm-hmm. ago <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so um, if parents are searching for um, swim schools versus swim lessons, what are some questions they should be asking, certifications they should be looking for so that they know they're getting safety and not just fun skills? Well, I mean, in my opinion, you should go more for a swim school anyway, because you really want the safety. Any good program is going to incorporate safety in with the swim skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, every lesson should focus on some kind of safety. But when you're going to look for a program, and it it depends on your area and availability, um, it's really going to depend on your student. You know, a lot of these places will take these kids, the the kids that look typical, that maybe have like a little bit of ADHD or, you know, they call it like the ants in the pants that can blend in in the group. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll take them. We'll take them. If you went to go take Jackson there, they would be like, um, we're full. Mm -hmm. So you need to find a place that can accommodate his needs and knows what they're doing. Because anybody can take your money and say, oh, look, you know, I'm teaching your kid to kick their feet or things like that. You need to ask the you know, the front office staff or, you know, whoever you need to call at their places and ask them what their criteria, their certifications are, their experience, the things like that. Um, You want to make sure that whoever is teaching your child, especially if they're more severe, has experience and understands autism and the triggers and, you know, that the kids don't have a self-preservation skill and, you know, what to do with it and and those kind of things. You might even want to find somebody with a medical background because we have a little boy with seizures. So mm-hmm. only I can take him. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. have another special needs instructor. She can't handle seizures. You know, mm-hmm. so so those are things too that you have to make sure that whoever is teaching your child can encompass all of their needs and still make sure that they're learning what they need to su- to survive in the water. Mm-hmm. You definitely want to look for a place that has an established curriculum, something that's going to be routine. I tend to find that like the swimming lessons, those kind of like YMCA programs or whatever, it's like, oh, hey, let's see what we're going to do today. And that's not going to work for a a child with autism at all. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Ask if they have pet cards. What is their special adaptations? Are you going to put my kid in a one-on-one lesson instead of a group lesson and that's it? Well, can my kid get a schedule? Can they, you know, my kid is nonverbal and isn't going to look at a schedule. How are you going to work with them? Ask all the questions you would if you were sending them to school and know how you're setting them up for success. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to find a place that can accompany them. I really, really recommend a program called um, Swim Angelfish. It's actually a swim school and it was founded by an OT and a PT out in Connecticut. And they are absolutely fabulous. And they have recently started a training program that you can take online and become certified as a, as a swim whisperer. And they go through the 14 roadblocks and difficulties of children with special needs and how to get them into the water and teach them to swim. So wherever you go and look for your lessons, I would ask one, if they have this certification or if they have any swim whispers in the building and two, if they would be willing to get the training, 
-hmm. You know, if you've got a place that's really into education and loves what they're doing and really wants to help their students, they're probably gonna be like, oh, I didn't know about that, but yeah, let me look into it. If you've got somebody that says, oh no, we know what we're doing, walk away. Because you can never have enough education. So, and, and you do a lot. You do a lot of um, education, continuing ed. I mean, yes. my goodness. Yes. You. I mean, you. It, things are always changing. There's mm-hmm. always adaptations. There's always things that you can learn. And you need to, as a teacher, you need to do what's best for your students to make sure they, they can survive. And I take what I do very seriously because my population that I work with has a huge drowning risk so i need Mm -hmm. to know what i'm doing in order i'm saving lives like it's a serious thing and you should take it seriously and you should be as trained and as well educated as you possibly can so aside from taking good structured legit safety based swim lessons what are some other tips you have um, for parents who may have a pool at home who you know spend time at a pool Um, we talked about having a watcher we talked about the safety swim lessons. What are some other things that we might be missing? Um, regardless of special needs kids or not, we have what's called the layers of protection. Um, and you should just have this for your pool no matter what. Even if you don't have kids at your house, the, the number one layer of protection is fencing, some kind mm-hmm. of barrier or barricade. And that is not your fenced-in backyard. You should have around your pool. And that's and just in that it shouldn't be your backyard fenced in and you can get out your sliding glass door and go to the pool you should walk out your sliding glass door and you have to open a gate to the pool to get into the pool your mm-hmm. pool should be barricaded gates with locks gates with the magna locks that children can't reach they should not have access to the pool that's it no distractions make sure that there's no toys there's nothing in the pool that's enticing them to go in and go get it clear mm-hmm. out your deck area put your stuff away at night it might be terrible you know oh, i gotta clean up all of this mess but if there's nothing out there for them to be interested in to go to, they're going to be less likely to go get in the water. Our motto um, is take 10 extra seconds, 30 extra steps. Exactly. That's it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It only takes 30 seconds. The kids are fast and notorious. Yep. You know what I mean? If there's not, if there's nothing out there for them to get interested in and there's a ball over in the yard, they're going to go play with the ball in the yard. But if the ball they want is over in the pool, they're going to find a way to climb that fence and get in that gate because yep. that's what kids do. Swimming lessons should actually be your very last line of defense when it comes to drowning prevention. That's interesting because I would have thought it would have been the first. Like, I feel like, oh my gosh, we have a pool and we don't have swim lessons. Like, what's wrong with us? So No. Um, in, in our business, swimming lessons should be your last line of defense. You should, barricades are one. Um, okay. Besides the barricades, you should have alarms and locks on everything. Your, your, any kind of access, gates, things like that, that you can get into the pool should have alarms in them. Mm-hmm. You know, you you don't want your kid to have to have swimming lessons and have to save their lives. You, you want to do everything you can to prevent them from even being in that situation. So swimming lessons should be the last line of defense. It means that everything else failed. I love that you had said that, Lacey, because as you've been talking and I just find you absolutely fascinating <laughs> that where we live a few years back, we actually had a boy uh, end up passing away and drowning in a pool or in a pond, sorry, that was like 12 steps, 12 steps away from the front door of the school. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, of course it wasn't, it wasn't fenced. It, the, the pond wasn't gated. It was nothing. And after the fact that it had happened, they had put up a very large kind of billboard that had PEX cards on it 
that showed like warning and and you know water and all of the things. Um, so wait but a I just rem- <laughs> so wait a second. That doesn't stop them from getting in the water. <laughs> this is this is the thing, and I just I remember that so clearly because it was about a week later and it went up, and I was thinking. What is that going to do? Like, yeah, that's great. But what is it going to do? Because if I compare that little boy to my own son, my son would would probably look at it in the corner of his eye and continue to run for the water. It, Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have mattered. And for them, their son did not have swimming lessons, had never been in a swim program, but he was the only student going into that school that had... Um, not only a one-on-one, so a full-time support person, but also had every uh, every precaution in place. Had a a, a like special a tracking device uh, yes and, tracking yeah. device and everything. And it was it's his very first day of school. His very first day of school, and the parents did not want to send him, and they had hired on an additional therapy team, and and it was so amazing that this boy was going to go to school, and he was one of the most prepared um, case files and children to attend that school, and on the first day, he ended up losing his life. So, and why would you? What do you- why would yeah. you put a giant billboard with pictures on it so that the kids have to walk towards said pond to see what the pictures are mm-hmm. of? Mm-hmm. Number and one. it was and it was after the fact, like this, right. you know, after that it happened, they were like, but look what we just did. Yeah. Like you, you, you get a hero cookie or something no. like it's so ridiculous. I don't understand why you'd have an open body of water around children. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you'd be su- Why is there an open body of water next to a school? You'd be yes. Su- you'd be surprised how many are local like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and it, but that's a current problem. We actually had yeah. a little girl here um, a couple of years ago. It didn't it didn't make our news because it was a semi-prominent family. But she went out in her backyard, and it was in the wintertime, and she went outside, and the pool itself wasn't fenced, but the backyard was fenced. She drowned on top of the winter cover. She walked out onto the winter cover, and it sagged, and uh, she, got, she drowned mm-hmm. in the water on top of the cover uh, because people don't want to fence in their pools like they should and they have amazing fencing systems now that go right down into your concrete and block it off mm-hmm. people think mm-hmm. oh well my backyard is fenced in nobody else can get in you want your kids to not be able to get in but people find these fences inconvenient because you have to have another gate in your backyard around it and you know well what if i want my i have to open a gate and close a gate every time i want to go in and out and this and that and so people don't do it well but it's and- a huge lifesaver yeah. We've had this conversation, and Amanda, you've seen my fence. Yeah. It is large and in charge and, it's like and Katie, everything. It's like Katie lives in a giant shipping container. Like, you can't see out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the, you know, the point is to keep people out and then also to keep my son in. Yeah. But there is people that are very close to us and, and friends and everything else. And they say that I am like the Grinch of summer because I refuse to get a pool. I refuse to get a pool. Like, yes, we have this beautifully kind of fenced backyard with a fence that's large and in charge, but I just, I can't. So my kids, the only thing we own is a slip and slide. That is that is as much as I can commit to. <laughs> and I just, I can't. It's, there's something about it. Um, both my boys, my oldest one, Avery, and then my youngest son, Jackson, they love water. They love water more than than life itself, and there is something about it and how how fast they are and how determined they are that 
we could have we could get a pool and we could fence it and and you know take the toys out and do all the things and there's something about it it just it worries me so much there's mm-hmm. going to be about one time that one time that one second so you know everybody says I'm, right. I'm the cringe that stole summer um mm-hmm. but you know I always say there's places we go as a family and obviously before COVID had happened that we went in a controlled setting so we would go to the pool and we would rent the pool out yep. where it was only our family our kids nobody else there was no toys in the pool and really my oldest son and and my youngest you know both of them highly enjoyed it because at our local pools and even when we travel into the city they have these amazing swimming pools that have a a really shallow area that you can kind of walk into they -hmm. have dumping buckets that's all they want they they don't want to go you know in the diving board they don't even neither of my boys want to go in the deep end but it's controlled and one day we will brave you know brave the world and go when there's additional kids there and and people but that's like a it's a stepping stone you know we're in a we're not in a race by any means but it's very very interesting Lacey, everything you're saying. That's that's smart parenting on your behalf. Um, Everybody says it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. But yet the drowning statistics are going up every year. His parents are more distracted. And everybody says, you know, not me, not me. Okay, but why why are you willing to take that risk? It's the number one cause of accidental death in children one to four in the U.S. Why are you willing to take that risk? And I'll say this too. When you go to a public pool... Do not trust the lifeguards. No. All of these parents hand and like, okay, we're getting, do not trust the lifeguards. Do not put your child's life in someone else's hands, especially with these teenagers on their phones, not paying attention. Yeah. It takes 30 seconds for a child, not even 30 seconds for a child to drown or possibly have permanent brain damage. Yeah. It's a couple gulps of water. Right. Well, and when, I love how you say about don't trust lifeguards because, it, you know, I don't want to always be that parent, but I remember very vivid that when uh, our kids were a little bit younger and we had you know booked a little slot time slot for the kids to go swimming (laughs) I had said you know can we have two lifeguards like it'll be two lifeguards both me and my husband and our kids like can we have two and they I'm sure they thought I was crazy because it's like how many kids do you have do you have 10 kids like what you're not but I just I wanted to be safe I want it to be safe because I feel like the odds um and and Amanda I think that that is something that we have kind of in common or that we've maybe talked about before for us where we live the odds are already against us not necessarily with water being the first thing because I refuse to get a pool but the odds are against us um locally where we live because we live right beside a train yeah. And and when I say right beside a train, like take thirty steps and you hit the train. Yeah. Um, so Jackson, heaven. That's why I said we can't live where you live. We can't visit where you live. We can it, FaceTime. It, yeah. 
Yeah. But with the swimming and the drowning, this is this is one of those instances where when the you know the, the saying better safe than sorry really applies. This isn't oh let my kids play on the monkey bar and they might have a broken arm. This right. is oh you uh-huh. know what I don't put the extra 10 minutes in and really make sure that this is safe. I never hold my child again. Yep, there's, there's no a second huge chance. difference in this scenario there's whereas no it's not going to be a minor injury or you know your kid uh-huh. can maybe have some kind of permanent damage or something. You won't hold your child again. There's yep. a huge difference in it. And yep. and back to the water watcher thing, I know lots of people. Listen, if you have a pool party and you have people at your house, hire a lifeguard. Mm-hmm. You will um, go to your local place and hey, you know what? Grab a couple of the lifeguards and say, hey, you want to make 50 bucks this weekend? Will you come and sit and watch the pool? No yep. phones. Watch the kids. Because if you don't have any responsible adults, you can't, you know, not partake in the festivities or people you don't just hire a lifeguard. Yep. Uh-huh, it's $50 uh-huh. for a peace of mind or, yep. you know, however much they charge. It's totally worth it. So, well, and for kids that I'm just thinking this while we're talking, but what would you suggest to say me, Amanda, anyone that has a child that is on the spectrum that is not a strong swimmer by by any means? And I'll use my oldest son as an example. What would be the age? Would it be right into adulthood that they would be wearing a life jacket always, even if they were in the shallow end? they are always wearing a life jacket or do you suggest that to not be in a life jacket all of the time i would say that it would it would really depend on the situation um take um amanda's jackson for instance they're there watching him and they're recognizing his symptoms of being tired yeah and and, you know whereas you have multiple children and you know if you're gonna it it would depend you know if you're gonna be out somewhere if i was going to a water park or i was going somewhere definitely never take that life jacket off that kind of you know what i mean and a more controlled situation where you wanted to kind of build up his endurance and let him swim and kind of free range yeah and and, and he can get that sensory stem of going underwater you can take the life jacket off but if they're not a strong strong swimmer and you know that you're going to be in the pool for a long time like that you you know you want the life jacket on if there's a chance that your child can get away from you if you're in a situation where you're in a huge pool in a huge park or something like that you Mm -hmm. know and and there's not a lot of fencing do not take that life jacket off because your runners are going to run yeah (laughs) you know and why take the risk life jacket not puddle jumper Amen. <laughs> just, just saying, because if I don't plug it, Lacey will be pissed. Life jacket, I will say, and this, this will be the only time you're ever going to hear me say this. This also depends on the situation. Um, I'm a, a t- I hate puddle jumpers. They're terrible for swimming. They teach correct, incorrect body positioning, awful muscle memory. They, you know, the kids swim in drowning position. However, you have the escape artists mm-hmm. who, if Jackson wants to take his life jacket off, Jackson's going to take his life jacket off because he's got the manual grasp and he can do it. If you've got a kid that can fit in a puddle jumper and is an escape artist, the puddle jumpers latch in the back. That's the, with a child with autism who will continually take their life jacket off, that is the only time in my life I will say put a child in a puddle jumper because they can't get it off. Yeah. Uh So Lacey, um, Katie is fascinated by you. So (laughs) can you tell her and tell everyone listening why your program focuses so much on special needs? What was your influence to do that? Um, well, I grew up with a little brother with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, it's just my passion. I don't know. I think growing up with a brother with special needs, I just have a different inclination, a different feeling towards them. Um, they make me happy. <laughs> we'll put it that way. But it, it, it's so important because I really do feel the life-saving aspect of what I do. And they're just an underserved 
population. And not only that, I mean, the water is such good therapy. I have a couple of kids who don't actually have autism, which is rare. Most of my um, special needs kids are autistic, but I have a couple that um, I'm not a physical therapist before I put that out there, but I've had lots of medical training through the years. And I do physical therapy with them in the water because you can't, they have no core strength. And mm -hmm. these kids are three and four years old and they are not gonna sit on a balance ball. They are not gonna do crunches. They're not gonna do this. You don't have a whole lot of choice in the water when I stick you out on a mat and you have to balance or you're gonna get wet. Yeah. So there's a lot of muscle development, uh, neuromuscular things going on. The water is just great for everybody. And the special needs kids are just, I just underserved for all kinds of things. And this is one thing that they can all do. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got several severely, severely autistic kids. This is the only sport, this is the only activity they can participate in. Yeah. These are the only thing that these kids are ever going to get to go do like their peers. Yep. So, so it's, it's just my passion. <laughs> so Lacey, as a special needs sibling yourself, what's the best advice you have for parents based on watching your mom navigate um, parenting your brother with different abilities growing up? Because this is like a huge anxiety point for all of us as moms. You've heard me ask 900 questions about this. So I think, I mean, just on the advice of what I would give to parents, um, from what I've seen in my experience, um, well, it's nothing to do with swimming. Water. Stop feeling guilty. Stop feeling guilty. Um, I'm gonna cry. See, now you get me. Amanda, <laughs> I don't know. We you didn't miss a crier. I know. I don't no, know but this 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 bothers me because I hear this from the parents all the time. Yeah. And you're, I've had parents apologize, and you guys stop feeling guilty. We didn't miss out on anything growing up. We didn't miss out on anything in life. I wouldn't change my childhood for anything, and I've yet to ever meet a sibling of a special needs um, child who would say they would change everything. You did enough. You're doing enough. Stop beating yourself up. You gave us everything you possibly could. We got enough attention because I feel like parents are always like, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't. You did. We, we saw that you made the effort. We saw that you made that time. It doesn't bother us. We understand there's just something about children are just compassionate, kind human beings. You know, you always see the stories of like, you know, the little kids that don't understand color between their friends. It's the same thing when we're growing up. We don't we don't see them with any different than us. Okay, they need a little bit more time. Well, you know, my baby brother beeped. Mom had to go turn the beeping off. That took a little bit longer. We don't feel any kind of regrets or sorrows or anything about that to stop feeling guilty. We see you, we understand, and we know that you did the best. So just stop beating yourself up about it and you stop having regrets. We are happy with our childhood. You know, and, yeah. and that's, I don't think you parents will ever not feel any different, but I'm telling like, we don't harbor any ill will or bad feelings about it. We got enough attention. That's, you know, that just seems to be the one thing that the parents are always like, I feel so, don't, yeah. don't feel guilty. It is, it is. Cause that's, I mean, 100%, I think I say it a lot. And I can see from the parent perspective, how you would see that, but we see when you're taking the time out. We understand that we have more compassion for, I understand that he needed more help, that he needed this, because I could do it for myself. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't bothered by it. And so don't, don't feel guilty. So what has impacted you the most by being Weston's sister? Hmm. That's one's difficult. Um, I just think the way that I grew up, I mean, just overall developed me as a person and how I treat people and how I go into things. 
Um, my tolerance level for people with special needs is a lot higher than neurotypicals. <laughs> we'll put it that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'll put up with a lot more because of that. Mm-hmm. And I also think, um, going back to the business, you know, we mentioned before, I think the way that I've structured my program growing up with a brother with so many special needs and, and medical things and, you know, parents flying back and forth to here and, you know, all the expenses and things like that. I think that I really kind of catered more to the special needs parents because I feel bad for them because I know that they don't ever catch a break on things. Mm-hmm. I often get asked, well, why don't you charge more? I had a kid two years ago, rip my shoulder out and I still let them come in lessons. Mm-hmm. It wasn't her fault. And I get all the time people are like, well, you should charge a lot more for those lessons. There's a lot more danger to it. No, can these parents catch a break? It's not their fault. Why should they have to pay more for something mm-hmm. than the rest of the kids? So I think just my mindset in general on how I do things, you know, and my caring and compassion for the kids with the special needs. I don't think if I would have had my brother that I'd be doing what I do or be well, good at it. Right. Well, and that's the same thing. You know, having Jackson changed everything for me. It changed how I viewed behavior. It changed how I viewed parenting. It changed, like you said, my tolerance. It it changes you for the better. Yeah. And I know um, just from work experience, too, because I've worked at um, several schools as, a, um, as an aide, you know, using that good old degree of mine, but um, I prefer to be in a special needs classroom getting beat up. I'm really good at it apparently. And you know, people will be like, well, where did you learn that? Did you get any training? Did you get, you know, this or that? Or how did you know to do that? I, I don't know, dodging bites when I was four. I, I'm just good at it. Like you grow up with an innate natural ability to understand and react to situations and help. It's just, there's something that comes within mm-hmm. that you can't teach on a certification or in a classroom or even being in a room with the experience, it's, it's completely different growing up with it. And it just makes us way better caregivers in my opinion. Than... So, so we call that mom gut. So you must have sibling gut. It must, yeah. it must transfer across all. It, it, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of the, it is sort of, but I know that like working with other kids that aren't my siblings, you just kind of have a, like a connection to them, I guess, somehow. And, and, you know, you'll be more likely to understand their needs and be able to help. And, you know, I always seem to get really get the, the difficult cases and seem to be able to work with them. Um, and it's just sort of like, like a gut thing. It's, you know, I could just call it a, like a God given talent, mm-hmm. but I think it's just how I was raised and what I had to go through my entire childhood. It's just second nature to me. Yeah. So and I'm really see. good at dodging punches and bites. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. And telling me and how it to works place, well in the, yeah, works well in the water. Place, telling me how to place myself so I can dodge them as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So Lacey, I can hold a pad like a, like a, like a uh, wrestler. <laughs> um, is there anything else that we didn't cover? Because I think we covered some really great tips. No, I think we got everything. I mean, the, this is, you know, swimming lessons really should be your last line of defense. But understand that why your child is going to go for that water and it's going to happen every single time. So these kids with these special needs really do need to be in in some kind of structured lesson with an instructor that knows what they're doing and knows how to teach them to, to survive. And is OK and comfortable with that because it, it can be it can be very rough and very challenging to watch and to teach. 
Mm-hmm. So you've really got to have somebody that knows what they're doing and, 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 you know, enforce the idea of like, you're, you're trying to save your child's life because they're going to do whatever they can to get to that water. Absolutely. So Lacey, where can people find you um, on Facebook, Facebook and Instagram to just see sort of what your program looks like so that maybe when they're looking and asking questions, they know what to reference. Um, it's just Dream Big Swim Academy. So okay. you can go to dreambigswimacademy.com. We also have a mobile app that you can look up that has all of our program information and things like that. And then Dream Big Swim Academy, Facebook, Instagram, it's all the same thing. We try to post a lot. And uh, I believe on our website somewhere that the safety stuff that we did during the COVID is still up there. Perfect. That's a great reference. Well, Lacey, thank you so much. Um, this was wonderful. Even I learned things. Um, And I've known you for a long time, so. I know Jackson was one of my first. He was, he was. Back when he was tiny. Yeah, that didn't last long. (laughs) No, no, no. I think he was half the size of you by he was three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lacey, thank you again so much. My pleasure. And everyone, we hope that you learned something here um, because I think that these tips could really be life-saving. So thank you so much. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thank you.